0: My name is Jonathan Romig, I'm the associate pastor here. This is your first time. Welcome. We are indeed talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, so please come back. (laughs) That's Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, you can go ahead and turn there. Before we begin, let me go ahead and open us in prayer. Father God, would your presence be known here? May we hear your word. May your word change us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've never been to war, but I know some of you have, or you know those who have been. In the last hundred years, of our history there's been a lot of war World War one Two, Vietnam you could you could name them all more recently they've they've seemed to hit a little closer to home we had September 11th and then Iraq and Afghanistan and these have been hard times they've been tough times these these wars, we don't always know how to look at them. We see them in the news. Maybe maybe we're not there present, but we see it on the news and we watch it and we don't know what to think. seems as if there's never an end to the violence, the tragedy, the conflict. So when we see something like the struggle in Kiev and Ukraine uh, between Ukraine and Russia, how should we view that? What should we think about that? This takes its toll on all of us. It's hard. But the scripture gives us a new perspective, a different way to look at conflict, at war. It doesn't give us a hopeless view, it gives us a hopeful view. It promises us that we and ourselves, that people will, will never evolve into another state where we won't go to war, we'll never become such that we'll be at perfect peace. It says, without Jesus Christ, we will always have conflict. And we will always have trouble. But it gives us a new view on life, especially the book of Revelation. It gives us a clearer view on how to think about these things. It tells us to think about these things as signs of God's coming kingdom. That Christ Jesus is coming when we see things like conflict. Today we're going to talk about three signs that Christ, that Christ's kingdom is coming. We're going to talk about conflict, persecution, and repentance. The main points of this message is that conflict, persecution, and repentance are signs that Christ is on his way. Conflict, persecution and repentance are signs Christ is on his way and he is coming as a judge he is coming as a deliverer and he is coming as a savior we're going to begin by talking about conflict that conflict is a sign that Christ is coming as a judge so look at Revelation verse uh, chapter 6 verse 1 Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. Conflict is a sign that Christ is coming as a judge, and Christ is coming as a judge because the judgments come from the Lamb and from the throne. Right in verse one, we see that God is the source of the judgments in Revelation six, of what follows next, of what comes after this. So we see that uh, the Lamb is the one who opens the seven seals. So it's like a, a letter and you have wax and it's sealed. And He is the one who is worthy to break these seals. And so what follows the, the war and famine, the, the horsemen, it comes from the throne. It comes from His authority. And then uh, and the four uh, living creatures, they say, Come. The first and then the second and the third and the fourth living creature. They all say, come. Now, these living creatures are angels. They are the cherubim. They're the, the four cherubim that surround the throne of God. You might have uh, heard about those last week, chapter four. And the, the four cherubim, the first is like a lion, the second is an ox, the third has a man's face, and the fourth is like an eagle. But the, the the note of importance is that they're around the throne, so that when they say come, it's as if God Himself has given the authority to these judgments to come. Imagine that there is a king and he has a magistrate who sits next to him day by day, and he speaks on behalf of the king. Well, whatever the magistrate says has has the same level of authority as the king because he speaks on his behalf. And that's the same thing here: that the judgments that are coming, the conflict. It's from god so when they command the horsemen to come they do so by god's throne christ is coming as a judge because the judgments come from the lamb and from the throne and it matters that christ gives his authority to what follows against the following judgments against the earth because it helps us see that conflict isn't meaningless that war isn't meaningless that it's part of christ's unfolding plan instead of just senseless violence it should give us comfort that when we see these things we can say god's kingdom is coming conflict is a sign that christ is coming as a judge now the four horsemen of the apocalypse are probably the most famous images of revelation but sometimes they're the most misinterpreted too. So we're going to read through Revelation 6, the rest of the verses through verse 8, and you'll see the different horsemen. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And he opened the second seal, and I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, uh, the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So to interpret this passage with all of its different images and, and what's going on, its symbolism, we actually have to look back to the Old Testament, to the book of Zechariah. Now, if we look back to Zechariah, we need to understand the context the time period. Uh, Zechariah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he prophesied alongside the prophet Haggai in about 520 B.C. Now, some of you may remember that in 520, 530 B.C., the the nation of Israel had recently returned from exile. Then about 600 years before Christ, 6:09. 6:09. Uh, the the nation of Israel had been taken into exile up north into Babylon, uh, and then they had returned about 70 years later. And Zechariah and Haggai are are prophesying to them after they've returned. And as you can imagine, they've come home to a desolate nation, a desolate economy. Their temple is destroyed. Their city Jerusalem is destroyed. And it's and it's frustrated, and they're afraid, and they're surrounded by enemies and Haggai prophesies you know rebuild the temple honor God first God will take care of you and Zechariah is saying you don't need to be afraid of those that surround you that you don't need to be afraid of your enemies because I am with you because I protect you and we read the passage from Zechariah where Zechariah, Zechariah uses the images of multicolored horses as well as chariots, to encourage the people to persevere. Zechariah 6, uh, if you want to go back and look at this more fully later, we're in Revelation 6, 1 through 8, and Zechariah 6, 1 through 8, also has the image of the multicolored horses. I think that's kind of interesting. So verses 2 and 3 of Zechariah 6 say, The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot, Dappled horses, all of them strong. Skipping to verse 8. Then he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. In Zechariah, God uses the images of war horses to show he will protect Israel. He, he He sends them out into the country to protect Israel, to surround Israel, and he sends them up north because that is the historic homeland of Israel's enemy you get Babylon, Assyria, even Persia. This is where their enemies are. And, and God is saying, my spirit is at rest, at rest there. I will protect you from those that you think want to kill you. In Revelation 6, in the New Testament, the author of Revelation, the Apostle John, he is expanding on Zechariah's imagery. He's taking the imagery and he's remolding it into a, a new message so he uses that image of the horsemen now john's audience the apostle john his audience was the early church and the early church in AD 64 had recently been through a lot of persecution under the reign of nero so think about that, that like this church you know alive and well but uh, the different churches but it's been persecuted and it's gone through a lot of uh, suffering and, and and conflict and and trial. And so he's writing to encourage them to say, yes, you know, more persecution is coming. More is coming, but persevere. Stick it through. God will get you through the conflict, God will get you through the war and the violence and the trials. Conflict is a sign that Christ is coming as a judge. Now the four horsemen show us war, bloodshed, famine, and death are all signs Christ is coming. The first horseman rides on a white horse and symbolizes war. It says that he he wears a crown and he has a bow. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Now this horseman, uh, I think all the horsemen have a demonic presence about them. But they're under Christ's authority. They're under God's authority. And God uses them to point to His coming kingdom. And this white horse He's using to point that war and conflict and trial, that those, are, those are all about His coming kingdom. And He's coming as a judge. And some of the things we see in this verse back that up, that the writer has a bow. He has a crown. Now the bow uh, is all about war. Uh, But one commentator said the bow is used in the Old Testament as a symbol for divine chastisement. In other words, the bow is a symbol of God's judgment. Not a positive judgment for, a negative judgment against. So when we see these things, don't lose hope because Christ is coming. The second horseman rides on a red horse and symbolizes bloodshed. That's verses 3 and 4. A bright red horse. And its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. You know, like in the movies, or when you read a good book, they introduce a a gun at the beginning. You know by the end that if it's over the the mantle, it'll be used by the end. That's That's the same idea right here. There's a sword, and you know that by the end, it will be used. And I think it's fair to say that the white horsemen and the red horsemen are already doing a pretty good job of what they've been called to do. We see war. We see murder. We see that peace is not on the earth. The people are killing one another because of their sin. The third horseman rides on a black horse and symbolizes famine. Verses 5 and 6. There was a a black horse, and its rider had a a great pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for Denarius and three quarts of barley for Denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. So if you're wondering what a scale looks like, I actually brought one to show you. So this is pretty much what the horseman is holding in his hand. It's for my uncle's gift. And what he's saying is that the scales are off. And especially when it comes to the price of food. That they're off, that they're misbalanced. You have to work a whole day for just a little bit amount of food. It's like... Going to Shaw's and buying milk for $15. It's the idea. And so when we we see famine, when we see starvation, when people around the world are so poor they have to eat mud cookies, say, Christ, come. Christ is coming. The fourth horseman rides on a pale green horse and symbolizes death. Now I read from the ESV and it does not say pale green, it says pale. And if you look at the NASB, it says ashen. The NET says pale green. It's just another way of translating it, but it says like that deathly, that deathly complexion. Pale green. Verses 7 and 8. I looked and behold a pale horse and its rider's name was Death and Hades followed Him. See, even God can use, even Christ will use death to point to His coming return because it points forward, it points toward the end of Revelation where Jesus Himself will vanish, will vanquish death and Hades. He will cast them away and they will be no more. So even when we go through times of hardship and lose those we love, we can remember Christ is coming. Christ is on his way. The four horsemen show us that war, bloodshed, famine, and death are all signs Christ is coming. The correct way to interpret the horsemen are as symbolic signs of Christ's coming kingdom. In other words, I don't think, I don't think the Scriptures gives us space to interpret them in like a literal one-for-one manner. In other words, the red horse is not Russia. The black horse is not Germany. The white horse is not the United Kingdom. The pale green horse is not Greenland. And when we do interpret them in this way, or interpret the book of Revelation, I think we actually miss out on on some good points that, that even apply to us right now where we're at. I was in... Florida this past weekend and I turned to a Christian television station and I saw just an example of uh, you know interpreting uh, Revelation in a very literal sequential manner. Uh, There was a preacher and he was talking about the April 29th peace agreement in Palestine. uh, That if that went through that would start the seven-year tribulation and the battle of Armageddon and Christ's return. And this is uh, certainly one interpretation of this. But we have to remember the big picture, to remember the Old Testament context, and that John is trying to give us a new perspective on life and on trial and on conflict, on war. Saying that when we see these things, it's a sign, Jesus is coming. He wasn't trying to give a specific time frame. John wasn't trying to fit into a box. We like everything's, everything to be in a box in our culture. He's trying to give us a new view, a new view on life. And this new view should cause us to pray. It should cause us to pray for, for those that are in conflict. This is a very simple way that we can apply this message is that when we see something like uh, the violence in Ukraine or Germany, the conflict, or in the Middle East during the Arab Spring, we should say, Lord Jesus, would Your Gospel bring peace? Would You come? Come soon. I know this this is a sign that when we pray Your Kingdom come, we're actually praying, Lord, would war come and and violence? But would we get to the end when You are here and You are bringing peace? And in the meantime, would You help us share the Gospel and, and bring peace in whatever way we can as a sign of Your coming Kingdom? as a sign of the end. The correct way to interpret these horsemen are as symbolic signs that move us to do things like prayer. Conflict is a sign that Christ is coming as a judge, but what's another sign from our passage that Christ is coming? Well, that is persecution. Persecution is a sign that Christ is coming as a deliverer. Persecution is a sign that Christ is coming as a deliverer. Verse 9 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. The first four seals talk about God's judgment against the world. But I think the fifth seal talks about the world's judgment against us. See, we go through uh, times of persecution. The world is rejecting us. And in one sense, I don't think we escape God's judgment. Now hear me carefully. So, so I don't think that the New Testament tells us at any point that, that those who believe in Jesus, that those who follow Jesus, will suddenly be snatched out of suffering so that they don't have to go through it. Because so When we look in the Scriptures, uh, they actually point over and over again that suffering of the saints actually grows the kingdom. That expands the kingdom. And that when we do die, that when we are martyred, and when when we experience these judgments in one way, it's not as an act of judgment against us, but for us. God is not pouring out His wrath upon us, but delivering us. Bringing us home. We don't experience God's wrath as the world does, as judgments against them. But we should expect to suffer and die as an act of deliverance by God. Now, the souls under the altar, this talks about uh, those who have been martyred, who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. The souls of those under the altar is everyone, I think this is everyone who has been rejected by the world for the cause of Christ. So I think I think it's first about those who have actually died as a witness for Jesus. It, it, the altar was a place where people were sacrificed, uh, or animals were sacrificed. Ultimately, the lamb, Christ Jesus was sacrificed on a cross. And It's just saying that these followers they've, they've been sacrificed, uh, been rejected by the world and their their blood runs down to the base of the altar. And that's why it says the souls under the altar. But I think it has a a bigger meaning that includes essentially every saint that has ever been shamed by the world or rejected by the world because the altar is before the throne. And that's symbolic of being in the presence of God, being close to God. And if we look ahead to Revelation 8 verse 5, it says the prayers of all the saints are offered on the golden altar before the throne. So you and I, even when we go through times of, of persecution and, and, and trial and And uh, as a witness for Christ Jesus, and we pray, our prayers are mingled with the saints that have gone before us. Those who have died, those who have been martyred, and it's all a fragrant offering before the Lord. And all persecution, no matter how big or how little, it's really, it's holy to the Lord. All persecution, no matter how big or how little, it's holy to God. A few weeks ago, Pastor Dana mentioned the suffering of Christians in North Korea. For those of you who might not be aware, uh, 33 Christians in North Korea were recently sentenced to death. Uh, the charges against them were like opposing the state. And, and they, were, they were sentenced to death because they've been helping church plants in North Korea. They've been helping a South Korean Baptist missionary plant around 500 underground churches. And so they're going to die for their faith unless the, the Lord intervenes. There are about fifty to 70,000, I wouldn't be surprised if there are many more, Christians in North Korean labor camps being persecuted for their faith. I think they call out. They call out for prayer, for deliverance, for justice. And we do, we call out as well on their behalf. And Christ says, Yes, I will. I will exact justice. I am the perfect judge, and I will come, and I will make all things right. Verse 10 says, They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and held to rest told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So they cry out. And this isn't a selfish call. You know, God, just get back at them. No, they're calling for God to vindicate His own name. For God to prove that He is indeed true and that they indeed belong to Him, that they are the children of God. And notice it says... Uh, Christ says, you know, you have to wait a little while longer. He closed them in white. He closed them in victory and holiness and purity. He says to wait. More of your brothers and sisters in Christ have to suffer in my name. I think that's interesting. Because I don't think it actually lets any of us escape. I think essentially it's saying, you and I, we have to suffer in Christ's name. We get to suffer in Christ's name before his return. We get to be rejected by the world, all of us. My sister in law, she's attending BU, and uh, she's in a screenwriting class. And uh, as part of her class, she she wrote a a film, and it has some Jewish characters in it. And there was a feedback session with her and a couple classmates and they were giving her feedback and they were so impressed with her understanding of the Jewish culture and so they asked her you know how do you know so much about this culture are you Jewish she said no no my, my grandma she's Jewish but I'm not they kept pressing her well how, so how do you know she said well I'm a Christian things got very uncomfortable after that one of them just didn't say anything and the other one said oh you're a Christian and my sister-in-law was so happy she had been rejected (laughs) for Christ she'd been shamed by the world for Jesus all persecution no matter how big or how little it's holy to the Lord conflict and persecution are signs that Christ is coming as a judge and as a deliverer but i think our passage points to one more sign that christ is coming that is the sign of repentance repentance is a sign that christ is coming as a savior revelation 6 12 through the end say when he opened the sixth seal i looked and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became like became black as sackcloth the full moon became like blood And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him, who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Repentance is a sign that Christ is coming as a Savior, and even now Christ extends His grace so that we may repent the opening of the sixth seal, I believe, is the beginning of God's final judgment. I think when you read the book of Revelation, you get several, several pictures of the final judgment. And each one expands a little bit more and more from different angles. Because in this, we see that the, the heavens are shaking, you know, the, the, the earth shakes, the, the sky rolls back. The whole world, the very creation says, you have rejected God. He is true. But even in the way John wrote this passage, we see an offering of grace. Notice that we don't see the seventh seal. There are seven seals in the book of Revelation. And the seventh seal does not come in chapter 6. It doesn't come until chapter 8, verse 1. And that's interesting that John would do that. Chapter 7 is kind of out of place. It's inserted in there. But I think it's inserted in there for a reason. Because God is teaching us about His forbearance. About His love and His mercy. Chapter 7 is about uh, the witness, uh, all the different people before the throne, the 144,000. And God is teaching us about His forbearance. Now, forbearance, for those of you who might not know, uh, is this idea of when a bank gives you a loan. So the bank gives you a loan, or maybe the federal government gives you a student loan, and it gives you time to repay. So like if you get a student loan, you have about six months after graduation to begin paying on that loan. It's a, it's a space, it's a gap. And it doesn't mean that you don't owe the federal government you know, all that money that you just incurred, millions and millions of dollars. but that you will have to pay, and you will have to pay one day. God is coming to collect His due. Christ Jesus is coming to collect His due. And you can either pay out of your account or His. Because we all owe Christ something. We all owe God. Because we are His creatures. And whenever we sin, whenever we do not live as He calls us to live, just racking up that due. And none of us can pay. No one could ever pay except for Jesus Christ. He paid on the cross. And if you put your faith in Him, if you repent, say, Lord, I need You. Christ pays your account. The end is coming. This gap of grace will not last. God's forbearance does not go on forever. We do not have the rest of eternity to turn to God. The seventh seal is coming. Revelation 8, verse 1 says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Verse 5, Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And I think that's the picture the final end. Peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. But for now, Christ extends His grace so that we may repent. Repentance is a sign that Christ is coming as a Savior. When you and I, when we repent and put our faith in Christ, this is a sign that God's kingdom is coming. Each new person that comes into God's kingdom, it's a sign that his final kingdom will soon arrive. But our text ends by telling us that those who do not repent will not be able to stand on the last day. Who can stand? You and I. If we put our faith in Christ Jesus. If we repent. We won't fall down in unwilling worship. We won't be forced to bend our knees. We will want to. We will worship Christ because it will be a joyful day. The signs are everywhere that Christ is coming. Conflict, persecution, and repentance are signs Christ is on his way. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Repentance is a sign that Christ is coming as a Savior. On March 1st, 2014, the Navy commissioned their newest warship, the USS Somerset. Some of you may be familiar with this, but this warship is named after the victims of 9-11, of United Flight 93, that crashed in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. They crashed there, and after, after 9-11, the Navy commissioned three new warships in memory of the victims. There's the USS New York that is actually, it has some of the steel from the World Trade Center in it. There's the USS Arlington that has some steel from the Pentagon in it. And the USS Somerset has some steel from a crane near the crash site. In it. They recently uh, you know, finished it, commissioned it, and this is a big warship. It has two 33-millimeter cannons, 30 uh, millimeters so I guess the barrel's about that big. It has anti-air missile launchers, it has several it has room for several helicopters to land. I would not want to be on the opposing end of this warship. This war vessel is a picture of the type of justice God is preparing for the world and His saints. This vessel has uh, been crafted in the memory of those who have fallen. And God's vessel is no different. His justice will come. His wrath will come. The wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of Christ Jesus. And no one will be able to stand on that day. And it will be a holy wrath. But God's kingdom has not come yet. The final kingdom. The signs of God's kingdom tell us that Christ Jesus is on the move. Conflict, persecution, and repentance tell us that Christ is on His way. There are signs Christ is on His way. Conflict is a sign that Christ is coming as a judge. Persecution is a sign that Christ is coming as a deliverer, as a Savior. Persecution is a sign that Christ is coming as a deliverer. And repentance is a sign that Christ is coming as a Savior. How will you receive Christ Jesus when He returns? Will you receive Him as a Savior and as a deliverer? Will His judgments be for you or will they be against you? Conflict, persecution, and repentance are signs. Christ is on His way. Let's pray. Father God, thank You that we who put our trust in You don't have to receive Your judgment as an angry judgment. But is a joyful judgment. Thank you that you do deliver us, you do save us. God help us extend this grace to those around us. Help us share the gospel. Help us pray for those that suffer in times of conflict, persecution, trial. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Would you all rise for the benediction. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Go in peace.